Hi, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, podcasting from the heart of the Netherlands, the beautiful city of Amersfoort. And it is not as cold as last week, but it's still windy and wet outside. I can't wait for springtime to arrive. Unfortunately, the studio here is very warm and cozy. I'm sitting next to the radiator, so that helps me heat up again. And we've got a warm show full of warm <laughs> content. I apologize to those of you listening in Australia, because it's uh, you don't need heat there. You need to cool down there. But we're going to talk about uh, movies, TV shows. I'll talk a little bit about uh, sacramentals and what that is. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a low-budget alternative for the Philips Hue lights, uh, which I tried out. But before that, I want to thank my patrons for making it possible for me to do this podcast without inserting all sorts of annoying advertisements. If you want to join them and get access to my uh, exclusive feed as a thank you, my thank you feed for the patrons, uh, then go over to patreon.com slash fatheroderick and you will have not one, not two, but you will have three podcasts every week to listen to. And that in return only for a, a few bucks a month whatever you you can spare and even if you can't spare it i i still love it that you're listening to this you take the time out of your day to uh, to listen to my ramblings so let's first go to the news you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world they said catholics rule we got boston south america the good part of ireland and we're making serious inroads in mozambique baby you've taken your first step into a larger world if you've listened to my uh, episode of The Walk of this week, I was going for a walk for a very specific Star Wars-related reason. I was hoping to... I'd, I'd heard that um, in, in, in one of those pharmacies, they were selling um, probably like leftover Star Wars goodies from the movie The Force Awakens, like old toys. And sometimes they do that. They, I mean, their, their bread, bread and butter is to sell shampoo and... and and that sort of stuff. But they, they have a toy department and usually very cheap toys. They have like uh, lower cost Legos. It's, it's not, not fake Lego, but real Lego, but, but kind of like they, they have like 20 or 30% off the regular store prices. And so I heard that they had Star Wars merchandise. And of course, I, I wanted to check it out. And the store that I went to didn't have the merchandise. But hold on to your seats. I'm going to show you. I scored big time. And I'm going to walk to my Star Wars goodies, and uh, they're right here. I hope you can still hear me, because I am so excited by this. And now I know I don't need to yell anymore, because I'm back in front of the <laughs> of the microphone. But check this out. I am so excited by this. And yeah, I, I know. I was in the store and I bought this stuff, and they and they said, "Is that for your sons or?" <laughs> They like automatically assumed that it was that I had kids, first of all, that my kids were boys, as if girls don't like Star Wars. And then I didn't answer. I was kind of like, hmm, hmm perhaps. <laughs> then and then the 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 man the elderly man said, Well, perhaps it's for himself. I said, That's right. So take a look at this. I got this massive, big, uh, what is it? How how many inches is this? It's a 18 inch, like 45 centimeters tall puppet or puppet is it? It's, it's like a, a, a figure of Poe Dameron in his, uh, well, regular like rebel outfit. This is like the pilot, the X Wing pilot uh, suit that looks almost identical to the, the ones that were, that we saw in the original trilogy. And it's all plastic. I mean, it's, 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 it's a toy. But I'm thinking perhaps I can, over time, I can weather this and make it look more realistic. So um, there, there, I think there are ways. This is already pretty pretty well done. I mean, they, I think they used um, like 3D scans of the actors. Uh, so this is, this is pretty good. But that's not the only one that I found. And these were like really cheap. Um, I've got one of my favorite Stormtrooper outfits. This is... Uh, a scout trooper, and uh, a scout trooper, of course, is the the type of stormtroopers that we see in Return of the Jedi. Um, they're they're on their uh, bikes, the the hover bikes, and uh, they are very uh, special. I mean, the regular stormtroopers are very bad at aiming um, with their uh, laser uh, rifles, um, and the scout troopers have a similar kind of like a, a not an identical but a similar problem is that they they 
they they are supposed to navigate very quickly through the woods on their uh, bikes, but they they specialize in crashing into trees. <laughs> so, uh, but I I love the scout trooper costume. It's one of the costumes that perhaps over time I may be able to uh, to make for myself because it's kind of a, a little bit slimmer. It's easier to wear. Definitely not as hot as a full fledged stormtrooper costume. You see these a lot on uh, fantasy fairs and on Star Wars conventions. So maybe in my future there this, this can be my mini me. And then the tallest puppet of uh, the three is Captain Phasma. And she is even taller. She's 50 centimeters. That is um, 20 inches tall. And uh, it looks pretty good. So I've got Captain Phasma, a scout trooper, and Poe Dameron. And I am so excited that they were still there because they, they, it was really a steal. Now, of course, do I need this stuff? No. Do I like it? Does it spark joy? As, as Mary Kondo would ask. Yo, sure. You should have seen me in the store when I saw that, when I found these. Uh, like, yeah, it, it did spark joy. <laughs> and I'm going gonna to put these in my Star Wars room. I've got one leftover room in my rectory. And right now, I'm just putting all sorts of stuff that, like the, the, um, uh, what is it? Um, the, the equipment that I use for, refurbishing the the building itself. It's just a, a room where I dump anything that doesn't have a, a, its own place. But I want to make that a nice room. May even become uh, like a guest room. Uh, I know that my nephews would love to come over and uh, spend some time and uh, and play video games, of course. And like my entire family, the younger generation is consists of Star Wars fans. So I think I, like a guest room, Star Wars room, hmm, seems like a good fit. But anyway... <laughs> I can't take these home today because I'm on my bike and they are pretty big. So I'll ha I'll leave them here and I'll take them home whenever I come here by car. I try to take my bike more often. It has two advantages. It's better for the environment and it's better for me because it helps me move. And I don't do enough of that lately because of the bad weather, because of my health. Um, I'm still kind of – last week I had this cold and I'm still coughing my lungs out from time to time. And I know that if I am in a situation like that, I have to slow down and and stay calm and not exercise too much because then it could turn into a bronchitis. That's the last thing I want. So I'm hoping to manage it this way. So that was my little Star Wars uh, surprise. Last week was great. I'll talk a bit, a bit more about that and what I've learned last week in, in the episode of The Walk. Um, and I, I love this this new channel that we started in the Netherlands. I, I'm learning so much by doing stuff that I've never done before, like producing a talk show that is very quickly turning into something that looks almost like a TV talk show um, but with very, very limited means. Like the, we have zero resources right now. And, um, and yet... With almost nothing, we're we're delivering, I think, a product that is that looks way more expensive than it actually was to make for the time being, because you pay a hidden price, uh, and that is just a lot of effort. And hopefully, soon I'll be able to hire some more people and purchase more equipment to do this uh, in, in in a way that it doesn't cost me so much blood, sweat, and tears. But we're still, I think, doing a pretty good job for uh, in these first two weeks. But again, as I said, more about that in the episode of The Walk that you can find over at Tridio.com. Right now, we need to talk movies and TV shows because I have no less than three reviews. One is of the movie Aquaman. I finally saw it. I think like the entire world has already seen it. And um, I heard good things about it. Is it as good as... As, it, as I hoped it would be. Um, you'll hear that in, in the upcoming segment. Uh, also talk about Night Flyers by uh, George R.R. R. Martin. And uh, we'll talk Star Trek. Of course. Star Trek. I love Star Trek. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Let's start off with Aquaman. Of course, you know my record with uh, the DC movies, and I'm talking live action movies because I got a, a, a message um, from uh, um, 
Uh, hold on, my brain is freezing here. <laughs> anyway, I've, several people uh, told me that I, uh, especially Luis Escobar, he sent me a long letter or long message uh, on, on Facebook Messenger uh, saying that I, I, I should not judge a movie before having seen it. I, I addressed uh, a lot of his comments in uh, last week's episode of The After Show, but I realized that that is only available to uh, my patrons. So I, may, my, may, I might as well mention it here. And he said, don't forget that DC is also doing a lot of animated movies. And some of those are much, much better than what Marvel has ever been doing. So don't discount that. And, 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 and stop trashing DC. Well... You know what? I, I do my best to to appreciate DC, and you may remember that my review of uh, of uh, what was it, Justice League, was actually quite positive. And also, Superman versus or Batman versus Superman, I was much more positive about that movie than I was uh, than, than than many other reviewers and even DC fans. So, but for for Aquaman, I I didn't know what to think about that. Is I. I thought it was a was a one of the better elements of uh, the Justice League um the character was funny and it just had a i don't know a better vibe than than most of those superheroes DC superheroes in in recent movies that take themselves so seriously um and of course this movie was the biggest box office success this is i think been one of the best uh performing superhero movies that of the DC superhero world that we've seen so far. Um, and and I'm like, okay. Uh, the, when I saw the trailer, it kind of looked a bit goofy and I wasn't too um, taken away by the uh, by the um, the underwater scenes. It all looked very over-the-top CGI. Kind of almost had a like a Star Wars prequels vibe, you know, like the Gungan City, the underwater stuff. It just didn't look right to me. And... Uh, for some reason, the trailer just didn't work for me. For me, it's personal. Um, but yeah, hearing so many good things and it being such a massive box office success, I was like, okay, I'm just going in this. I, I have my hopes up high. Let's enjoy this. This is going to be fun. I even paid extra to see it in 3D because everybody told me, ah, it looks amazing in 3D. And, and then um, the only thing that kind of uh, made me... Hesitate was that it was all another long movie, it's like two and a half hours, and I'm always like, if you can't tell a good story in two hours, um, then probably you should revise the script until you can. In two and a half hours, and I was right. This movie, this is going to be my first comment, was way too long. Um, I, no less than five times I counted it. I watched. I looked at the at the time on my watch. I was like, oh, I'll get this over with. I, I, I I'm kind of done with this story. Um, it was almost always during the same kind of scenes. And to me, those, for me, those scenes are what, what is perhaps the biggest flaw of the last couple of DC movies. The action scenes, the over-the-top, loud, crowded, uh, like CGI extravaganza destruction scenes that we have. There were, there were, don't get me wrong, there were things that I liked about this movie. Um, there was more humor, it was more lighthearted. They tried to do a bit more, to have a bit more chemistry between the characters instead of them being all like super heavy-handed and... Um, so they, they try to include a little bit of levity. Did it work? Well, sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. I thought that the um, uh, kind of the the the, the duo that was a female. Um, that, of course, you've got Aquaman, and if you, you got a female character, I forgot her name. And it, it uh, I just did not really care for her performance. It, uh, a lot of the humor kind of fell flat in my, uh, at least for me. Um, uh, but but nevertheless, what what I what what surprised me was that the scenes that were not taking place underwater, <laughs> um, there was a lot of moving around the world. It almost felt like a James Bond movie, where you know, like oh, ten minutes you're here in in Venice, and then ten minutes later you're in in in, in this part of the world. That they went almost over the entire world, which gives nice backdrops. It didn't make much sense, though. It's like a 
bit was a bit gratuitous, but I did appreciate the fact that we were no no longer in just like Gotham City in the same dark, gloomy environment. There were actually some sunny scenes, which I welcomed. It's like, ah, finally, we got some color. And this movie is also very colorful. That's another departure from kind of the, 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 the bleak stuff that we had to endure for many years. Um, not just with DC, but it was an overall trend. Color is back, and I, I, I appreciate it. Um, so those... Above what, of course, in the beginning, you get the, you get this really strange introduction, where Nicole Kidman is actually Aquaman's mom, and then the guy uh, who plays Django Fett, or the actor who plays Django Fett, um, plays Aquaman's father. And there was something I I liked the beginning, in terms of storytelling. But at the same time, I was like, there is, there's something weird going on. Uh, and I couldn't really pinpoint it. Definitely Nicole Kidman for me didn't work as an actress. She felt like out of place in this, in this movie. Uh, um, her acting was kind of strange. I mean, at one point she's like fighting all sorts of, of, of watery uh, um Enemies and and it just does not work. Nicole Kidman is not an action actress, and she shouldn't be kicking people around. It's just uh, it's, it didn't work. Um, you've you've uh, she oh she plays Atlanta. I have the finally you've got the IMDb page up, and then um, you've got uh, what's his name? Oh, Tamuera Morrison. Is that yeah? That's his name. So and and, and he he it was like. There's something wrong with his face. And then, of course, I realized, wait a minute. He doesn't look like like uh, the actor that we saw in, in the prequels, in the Star Wars prequels anymore, because those were filmed 20 years ago, even longer. So what they did is de- they de-aged him. And uh, we've seen a lot of examples of, of de-aging technology. And sometimes it's almost flawless. Like like if you see the trailer for the, the, the next Avengers movie and you see Samuel L. Jackson in a younger version, it's like... I cannot believe that this is CGI. Um, but here, it felt cheap. It felt hasty and uh, definitely jarring. There are some shots where you're like, oh, golly, this is the uncanny valley. Uh, fortunately, later on in the movie, he appears as he is, just the age he has currently has. But that was anyway, that was the beginning of the movie. And then it started off nice, and I was like, okay. But this is not as bad as uh, as as I as I feared it would be. Um, this is actually pretty entertaining. And then the first big action explosion scenes, and and, and it just goes on and on and on. I was like, oh, here we go again. And then every time the movie picks up some levity, and I'm starting to like it. It's followed by 10 minutes, 15 minutes of gratuitous destruction. It's very similar to the destruction in the first Superman uh, movie. Um, not, the, not the classic one, but the, the more recent reboot of Superman, the one that preceded Batman versus Superman, where they destroy like half the city and it just goes on and on and on and it's over the top. Well, you've got a lot of those scenes here. I think in, one, in my short review on Instagram, I said it, this looks like Transformers with... But in the DC universe, it's like a transformer. This movie from time to time just goes totally Michael Bay Transformers mode. And it's not entertaining at all. It's like, ugh, get this over with. And in many of those scenes, the 3D made it worse. It's just too much happening. It's like, why do you cram like a thousand soldiers in one scene, also swimming in all directions, if, if like if you would picture like four or five and then just like we know that there's an entire army i don't have to see it all the time it's just too much and then all the under underwater stuff stuff looked wrong like they did like cgi hair and that, that like kind of was flowing but it was flowing a bit too much and and um the colors were off and a lot of the actors when you see them they they don't look as if they are underwater, which, of course, they weren't. Otherwise, you can't speak. Um, 
but they, the, 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 so the hair is floating as if they are underwater. Their face is moving as if they are just filming this in a studio in front of a green screen. And I think the green screen is probably one of the big temptations of this movie. They did everything the way George Lucas did it in front of green screens. And the entire environment is CGI. And that doesn't help, I think, for the quality of the acting. So uh, the acting was pretty uneven. Um, uh, th- this also felt plot-wise... I'm kind of going back and forth between visual style and and and, and the plot and storytelling. Storytelling wise, this fair, felt very much like the first Thor movie, which is the one that I liked the le- the least. Um, it even has a kind of a Loki equivalent. Uh, there is there is the the half brother of uh, of Aquaman, who has a role that is kind of similar to to Loki, but less funny and less cool and more like, ah, just very stereotypical uh, a villain. Um, there are a lot of, like, plot moments that don't make sense or things that they kind of tease, but then there's no payoff. And then there are so many, like, open-ended things. And it, the movie felt rushed, felt, I don't know. So... My biggest question coming out of the theater is why is this such a massive box office success? Because honestly, if you ask me, Justice League was better plot-wise. Well, the answer came from my female followers, many of whom said, well, yeah, you're totally right. The, the movie was a kind of mediocre. The story is kind of mediocre. But oh my goodness, Jason Momoa, he looks so good. And I'm thinking, okay. Okay, I did not take that into account. Perhaps that is for part of the audience a big draw. Um, And it's, well, I was like, okay, well, uh, right. Perhaps. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. (laughs) That can be a reason for people to go see a movie. But it doesn't make it a good movie in my respect. May may make for an attractive actor or something like that. But, But... I think a movie should be more than just an attractive person on the screen. So what's my final verdict? I was like, eh. yeah, I, I understand that a lot of people liked it, loved it even, but this is definitely a movie I will not revisit. I will not see it again. I just did not care for it. And so it's it's another, for me, it was disappointing. It's like, here we go again. It's just DC. It's just... It's not for me. I will probably avoid the next one. Unless I let myself lure, be lured into go, going to see it anyway because everybody says it's amazing and then I go see it and it's like, yeah, it's DC. So anyway, um, one last thing. I, I did listen to a podcast review always afterwards. I'm trying to think, is it just me? Is it just me? Am I so negative? Do I, am I... Do I have a bias versus DC? And then I listened to uh, one of my favorite podcasts uh, out there about movies, um, and that is Now Playing, the Now Playing podcast. Um, And they did an episode about uh, Aquaman, and I felt myself, like, constantly validated. They they are not very positive about a movie. Um, They Just like me, they wanted to give it a chance. And, and and they recorded this like the day after they saw it. So this does not take into account the massive box office success. So it was kind of their first impressions after having seen it like twice, I think. Um, but the points they make, re- really valid, I think, valid criticism of why this is not a very good movie. Um, so if you want to check that out, if you want to... If you want to hear like an in-depth review that totally mir- reflects my thoughts about the movie and why I, I think it's flawed on multiple, uh, uh, in multiple ways, uh, go listen to uh, the Now Playing podcast and, and look for the episode about Aquaman. Well, uh, I said I had three reviews. The th- my second review is about Star Trek Discovery. I've been very enthusiastic about Star Trek Discovery. I'll keep it short because not, not everybody is able to see it. Uh, because they don't have, in the U.S., they don't have access to CBS All Access. But the the second season has now started on Netflix, and I've watched the first three episodes, and it is even better than the first season. It's a lot better than the first season. It also feels much more like Star Trek. They're starting to match kind of the the canon of the, the established canon with the 
elements, the story elements that they introduce in this. Of course, they will never really explain away the fact that their technology looks much more advanced than what we see in the original series. But then again, you don't want to see uh, cardboard uh, um, uh, sets in in, in, in a, uh, a modern day version of, of a... So I would say it's... The story is classic Star Trek, but it's told with vi the visual language of today, including the special effects that we now have. And this series looks glorious. It's one of the best-looking Star Star Trek series. Definitely the best-looking Star Trek, even including the movies, the J.J. Abrams movies. I think the series actually at times look better than the J.J. Abrams movies. Um, so, But I think in general, like one of the best-looking sci-fi series out there for now. Um, the third episode was interesting. Very, the, the Klingons are back. They do explain a little bit more about the, the, why the Klingons look different in the first season and why they are starting to look more like regular Klingons now. There is stuff that they do with, uh, like the, the bird of prey, the, the spaceship, and there's just a lot of little details in there. Very enjoyable. Plus, they have like this deeper mythology. This is, there's something going on. You don't know what. There is an ongoing story that is being told, and it's it's told really well. So high, high praise for this second season of Star Trek Discovery. And then my third review is about a brand new science fiction series uh, based on a novel or on a short novel, actually, by none other than George R.R. R. Martin, the writer of Game of Thrones. And for a lot of people, this was kind of interesting to see that uh, now he's not as involved in this as, as he was in uh, in Game of Thrones. For Game of Thrones, of course, he wrote like a ton of pages, <laughs> thousands and thousands of them. He has, still hasn't even finished the books. And so the, the, the series had a lot... Of, of, of material, even though the, the TV series takes different directions, sometimes changes the destiny of some of the characters. Um, but it is, it, there's a lot of, 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 of uh, uh, basic material to draw upon. That's not the case with Night Flyers. Night Flyers is a book that he wrote a, a long time ago, I think. A very short book, like 200 pages or something like that. Um, and then with the TV series, they kind of take the basic premise and they, they start to expand it. And, and, well, the story is quite different, I think, from, from the book. Um, I was eager to see it. I mean, hey, a new high-profile science fiction series, if it's as good as, as Game of Thrones, um, and it's, it's a little more... I mean, Star Trek, of course, is Star Trek. It's, it, it doesn't get too gritty. It's not very violent. If this would be like Game of Thrones in space, oh yeah, sign me up. Well, it is different. It does have some elements of, of Game of Thrones, some aspects of Game of Thrones, but unfortunately not the best ones. What it does have is gore. Like the, like the first few scenes, there's like, ugh. ugh. You see all sorts of cut of body parts and there is blood and there is oh yeah 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 and and then that's kind of uh in the first few minutes you get to see how the story ends or at least part of the story ends and then they go back in time it's, very, it's a trope they do that a lot and then they show you how they got there um and it is instead of science fiction it feels much more like space horror more like aliens but not as good as aliens um, and the thing that kind of, I think, doesn't work, so in a, like, very, in a nutshell, without spoiling anything, this is about, like, Earth is in disarray, um, a lot of mankind has been exterminated by some kind of virus, and, uh, they have noticed that there is an alien spaceship, uh, and, and it's, it's approaching the Earth, not to visit Earth, but it's just like a trajectory of a spaceship, and, for whatever reasons, unexplained in the first episode, um, they think that those aliens may have the solution to the problems on Earth, especially the you know the cure for the virus, and so they decide to go on a space mission to make first contact with these aliens, and that's going to be first contact in general for for mankind. In order to make contact with these aliens that don't speak any of our languages, of course, they decide, or at least one of the characters decide 
to take um, like a psychic with them. Very similar to what they did in Babylon 5 with some of these people that have like very strong psychic powers of manipulation and everything. It's like that, Babylon 5, but then in overdrive, much more violent, much more um, uncontrollable. And uh, a lot of the crew does not uh, – apparently these, these L1s, these psychic people have such a bad reputation that they're locked up. They're almost treated like raptors or like a Tyrannosaurus Rex or something like that. Um, and, and immediately things start to go wrong and people get killed and get delusions and, and visions and uh, the, the, the psychic – the L1 – does kill people and uh, but there is more probably more going on the thing is and that's a flaw i think in a way they told this story i, I understand that they want to start with a shocking moment like oh i can't believe they they give us this in the first few minutes but you already know where this is going you even see some characters going bad or being bad and then in when they go back in time these are actually supposed to be sympathetic, but you already know that they're going to end up killing people. And so it's, it's taking out the tension. You already know how it's going to end, or at least. So I, I don't really want to want to connect with these people because I know they're going to die anyway, or they're going to end up being horrible psychic murderers. So why would I care for them? And it, it, it really hampers, I think, the 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 bond that I'm supposed to have with this otherwise pretty well performing cast, I have to say, the acting is pretty good. The special effects look good. It all looks like classic sci-fi. There are some some uh, nice references to uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Uh, there are some 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 scenes even that are like an homage, and it's is very well done. But I was like, okay, do I want to see 10 more episodes and I already know where this is going? So I, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, well, of course, I'll continue to watch it. But it was not it's, – it's not Game of Thrones in space. It's definitely not. It's okay. It's good. But for now, I've only seen the first episode, of course. So this is initial impression. But, um, yeah, I think there, there's better science fiction out there, even on, on Netflix. So those are my three reviews. Let's go visit the Peculiar Bunch and talk a little bit about something totally different. <laughs> Catholics rock! Here at the Peculiar Bunch, we're always happy to explain Catholic stuff to you. Answer questions you may not even knew you had. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I want to talk about sacramentals. That's a different word from the word sacrament. And I want to give you an example of one of those sacramentals. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. On the 3rd of February, the Catholic Church celebrates the feast day of uh, a martyr that is, at least in, in Catholic circles, very well known. His name is not Valentine. That's another martyr that we celebrate later on in February. I'll probably talk about that a little bit more uh, for Valentine's Day. Um, but I'm talking about Saint Blaise. Saint Blaise was a, a doctor uh, who lived in the uh, second part of the fourth century and was killed, was martyred in, I think, around 314 or 316 um, uh and um, after being a doctor, he became a bishop. And as a bishop, of course, he was kind of like, first he was healing physical ailments, now he's a healer of souls. And then he got arrested because of the persecution of Christians and uh, was killed by the emperor. But before that, um, according to legend, because this is not in any way verifiable, but there are stories that were written about him uh, 400 years later, like in the Middle Ages, um, that told a story where uh, a, a woman uh, came to see him with her son who was choking on a fishbone. And then by his prayers, the son was cured, was healed, uh, a miracle. And later on, the saint became the patron saint for those that suffer from ailments that have to do with the, with the throat. So a throat ache 
or uh, coughing or bronchitis or a common cold or whatever. And because his feast day is in the beginning of February, that is the time that a lot of people are suffering from throat ailments. And so uh, the Catholic Church has a tradition where on the day of his feast or sometimes the Sunday after or before his feast day, uh, a priest or a bishop can administer the what they call the blessing of the throats. Kind of sounds a bit creepy. In, in my country, it's called uh, St. Blaise's blessing, and everybody understands what that is. Um, visually, it looks like this. You have two candles, slightly larger candles than you would use like devotional candles, and uh, you cross them and hold them in front of the throat of the person who asks for the blessing. And there's a short prayer that by the intercession of St. Blaise, the Lord may grant you protection against the ailments of the throat and, and, and other sickness or something along those lines. And then you make the sign of the cross to bless the person. Um, it's in the Netherlands, a very popular blessing. I've been giving that blessing on uh, the eve of the feast of St. Blaise. Uh, which happened to be candle mass. That's probably where the candles come from. Um, and like almost everyone in church in the church was asking for the blessing. So I've been standing there for half an hour, like administering this blessing. And not just older people, also young people, even children were asking for that blessing. And um, but I also so I I was like, okay, let's do a little bit of Lego catechesis. So the other day I made a little Lego scene with a Lego priest who was uh, using two, <laughs> not, don't really have candles, Lego candles. So I used basically the the um, the rods that I had from one of the um, moisturizers on Tatooine. <laughs> I had a little micro set of a Tatooine moisturizers. So I was like, oh, those look kind of could look like candles. They're kind of the size of baseball bats, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> and then I used it. There's this one uh, Ninjago uh, minifigure that has a scarf, like a, an orange scarf. It's the selfie, the, the, the same character that carries a selfie stick. So I was like, oh, that, that could be a nice minifigure to use for this scene uh, because he's wearing the scarf. So with a little bit of imagination, he's suffering from uh, pain in his throat. I posted that on on various social media, and I asked people if they received it. And to my surprise, I did get a number of negative reactions. Not not to the Lego scene in general, but to people that said, "Well, I'm Catholic, but I still I struggle with this kind of stuff. It feels so superstitious. And uh, why should we bother God with this kind of stuff? If I have a pain in my throat, I just go to the doctor or I I, I take medicine, but." Uh, we, we're starting to, another person said, we're, we're, this is turning the church into like a circus. And I, I was kind of taken aback a little bit by this because this is very Catholic to have these, what we call sacramentals, um, little signs that for smaller things kind of connect us to God. To give you, uh, of course, the church has the seven sacraments. Those give the the, the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but they're, they're, we also have these sacramentals and according to the catechism of the uh, for the catholic church which i linked to in the show notes um sacramentals are sacred signs that bear a resemblance to the sacraments um in in a way that they have uh sometimes like tangible visible signs like uh, baptism has water uh the, the eucharist has bread and wine in this case you have you've got these candles um, they signify, sacramentals signify effects, particularly of a spiritual nature, which are obtained through the intercession of the church. In this case, by the intercession of the invisible church, the church in heaven, which is part of the church. It's the saints. By, the, by them, people are disposed to receive the chief effect of the sacraments and various occasions in life are rendered holy. So it's, it's a kind of a sanctification of, of life. Then it continues, sacramentals are instituted for the sanctification of certain ministries of the church, certain states of life, could be a blessing of someone who enters a convent, for instance, or a lay blessing, great variety of circumstances. Um, and uh, the use of many things helpful to man, for instance, the blessing of cars uh, or the blessing of a house, that's a sacramental, things that we use but we want to dedicate them to God. And with that are also our activities uh, that w we do with the use of those objects, like a car or the life that we live inside a house. So we, we ask for God's protection for the people that will drive, the, for the, 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 
the moments that will be enabled by the use of the car, for instance, like the visiting of family and friends. So it's very kind of broad. Um, and so it's not, it's not an enchantment of an object. Sometimes that people think that, well, this is just magic. You know, you bless a car and then you don't get any accidents. No, that's not it. That would be, encha- that would be superstition. That would be enchantment. Uh, and that's not the way it works. That's not, that's not how the force works, Han Solo would say. Um, that's not the way sacrament, sacramentals work. But it's a dedication of the object to its use and thereby it's, it's asking for a sanctification of our lives. We live our lives not just in church. We live our lives with day-to-day things and people and moments. And you want to have those dedicated to God as well. That is what a sacramental tries to express. They do not confer the Holy Spirit in the way that sacraments do, but, and I'm here quoting the, the catechism, by the church's prayer, they prepare us to receive grace and dispose us to cooperate with it. So again, it's not the thing that is causing the grace. No, it, it opens us up to God's grace. It still requires our collaboration for it to work. So in case of the blessing of the throats, it is the person that it's not the blessing itself or that I cross the candles and hold them in front of the, the, the people's throats. That is immediately like having a beneficial uh, uh, um effect on the throat itself, but by that motion, by, by that movement that people do, that the, the, they ask for this blessing, that step opens them up. The words that I say, the prayer that I pray is opening them up for God's grace. So if God wants to help protect them against ailments, against, I don't know, throat aches can be very painful, then the person would be more open to that. It could also very well be that God has other plans. I mean, one year I've administered the blessing while I was suffering myself from severe throat ache. I could barely speak. And I was like, hmm, kind of feels a little bit weird. But then again, it's not enchantment. I'm not a magician. It's opening, helping people to open themselves up to God. And that, what I like about the sacramentals is they help us understand that God is not just there for the big things. So one person criticized the ritual by saying, like, I was, I'm a former Protestant, and I kind of feel that this is, this is, it's too small. Go to a doctor if you have a pain in your throat. Don't bother God with that. But I would reply, well, why then just de- does Jesus cure uh, the mother-in-law of St. Peter? She just she, she had a fever. That was all. She was in bed with a fever. Why would they bother Jesus with a fever? But it's Jesus himself that goes upstairs and, and heals her. And was it life-threatening? Probably not. Could, he could have just stayed downstairs and said, well, oh, I'm so, so sorry to hear that. You know, I hope your mom gets well soon or your mom, your, your mother-in-law gets well soon. Um, but... but um, but Jesus also cares for the small stuff. He wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives, not just in the big life decisions like weddings and, and priestly ordinations and, and birth and death. No, you, you can bother him for anything. He likes to be bothered for the small stuff as well. And so that is, that is I think, what sacramentals teach us. That is what it, they want to express is that God wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives, even when we're just driving a car or we're entering our our homes or our houses or we have pain in our throats. Why not? The moment you make that movement to God, God help me with this. And it won't necessarily mean that he helps you to heal, that he will heal you. It can also be that the grace that is conferred to you is that you is endurance or is that you can offer it up or you can you can you know, you have the patience to, to, or that you are inspired to seek help. <laughs> there are so many ways in which God can help you, not all necessarily being uh, healing. So that, in a nutshell, is what I would tell people that sometimes wa- are wondering about these sacramentals and if the church is superstitious and if this is just like refurbished uh, a pagan superstition. 
I'd say, no, it's not superstition. It's not enchantment. This is not magic. This is just tiny little steps that we make. It's like training to open yourself to, to God's grace. If this was in the, happening in the world of the Jedi, it's not that by closing your eyes and sitting on a rock, you automatically get the force. <laughs> like think of Luke's training of, uh, of Rey in, in, in uh, The Last Jedi. That's not how the force works. But what he tries is that by closing your eyes, sitting on that rock and, and, and reaching out, you open yourself to the force. That's what a Jedi is supposed to do. There are no tricks. When, when, when Luke is doing somersaults on Dagobah with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Yoda on his back, it's not the, it's not the acrobatics that make him a force wielder. No, it's because he learns to, by, by jumping around in the swamp, that he has to, that the force can help him do that. But it's all about opening yourself up to the force. And even non-initiates like Ray, the moment they open themselves up to the force, they can do things that they never thought possible. And that's the force. It's not the, tr- it's not the, the thing itself. So that's, what, that's, that's my, kind of my Star Wars way of explaining it. And that's it for now. Let me go over to the world of... Um, let's talk a little bit more about Star Wars. Hey, you can never talk enough about science fiction and fantasy and blends of science fiction and fantasy and that's Star Wars to me. Because I read a fascinating article about Luke and Leia and about George Lucas' original plans with those two characters and I've never heard those plans before. Can't believe I've never read this before. So, talk a little bit more about that right after the jingle. Boing. I see aliens. Little aliens from outer space. And how are things in outer Plutonia? How many times have I told you not to wear your space boots in the house? Go to shape. I mean, you can donate my body to science fiction. Get your suit on! We need ya! So, we all know that Leia is the sister of Luke Skywalker. It's one of the revelations in, or the reveals in, in, the, la, in uh, uh, the Return of the Jedi. Um, of course, in Empire, we had the big revelation of Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father. And then the, the Return of the Jedi had that same moment where Luke realizes Leia is my sister and I've always known. And I've always assumed that that had always been the plan. And, and we've seen in the prequels the whole backstory. And it's like, wow, I can't believe the genius of, of George Lucas that he thought of all that before he even filmed A New Hope. Well, it turns out that was not the case. That is what George Lucas always wanted us to believe, that he thought everything out in advance. But we know and we have proof that that was not the case. In fact, even the, the, the idea that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father is something that they came up with later. In, in previous drafts of the, of the movie and of the story, um, there was even a scene where, where Luke would have, I think, visions of his father being a, a genuine Jedi, just like what Obi-Wan tells him uh, on Tatooine, and, and that Luke would, would receive some kind of like spiritual training from his father. And it's only later on that they, that they came up with that idea of, well, what if Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? And then the same thing, with this mysterious phrase that Yoda utters at the end of Luke's training on Dagobah when Luke decides to stop his training and to save Leia and Han and Chewie. He, he, does, he prefers to go help his friends and Yoda is opposed to that. He's like, you have to, no, you have to finish your training. And, <laughs> and Luke goes anyway. So it seems like... like Luke Skywalker's future is in peril. He's not ready to face Darth Vader. And then uh, you have this little conversation between Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then Yoda says, no, there is another. And I always assumed that George Lucas knew that that was going to be Leia. But if you think about it, it doesn't make sense. Because Luke Skywalker is going to save Leia and Han and Chewie. But Yoda thinks that he's going to fail because he's not ready. He's not strong enough. He hasn't finished his his uh, training, and so 
if you follow that logic, then Leo probably wouldn't survive either. So it doesn't make sense for Yoda to say, no, there is another. Well, it turns out that is something that they only came up with in preparation for, for the return of the Jedi. Originally, they, it was a trick. And Lucas actually has admitted this. Um, in the 2000, and I totally missed this, in the 2004 DVD commentary, um, George Lucas explains that he hadn't thought things through in advance. In fact, he explains that the other in Empire was introduced as a way to increase tension. And this is a direct quote from that commentary by George Lucas. It sets up the fact that in this series, Luke could be expandable at this point. We don't need Luke to tell this story. We could get somebody else to do it. He is not the important one. There is another. It's a cheap trick, but it works. And so according to uh, a number of people involved in the production of these movies, um, they were actually, it wasn't clear from the start that The Return of the Jedi would be the last movie. George Lucas wanted to do sequels. And so originally he had planned to introduce a new character in Return of the Jedi um, that then could be the main character replacing Luke Skywalker for the, for the subsequent uh, uh, sequels to, to uh, Empire Strikes Back and to Return of the Jedi. So it was in f just a trick to ensure the longevity of the Star Wars franchise. Very similar to what to the things that Disney is currently facing, trying to go beyond this upcoming third movie, the, the end of the Rey and, and, and the Luke Skywalker uh, storyline. They need to do something new. That's why at the end of The Last Jedi, you see that, that there is this little boy also discovers the Force or has a, like an innate talent. So it means you don't need to be related to the Skywalkers in order to become a Jedi. And so the Force has a future because the Force will choose new people to work with. And, um, and, and that, so that was – a lot of people criticized Ryan Johnson for doing that. But I think it was based on what George Lucas himself already planned on doing if, when he was uh, kind of thinking about Return of the Jedi and subsequent movies. It's just that at that point in his life, he didn't want to continue. I think he had a kind of a bit of a Star Wars burnout after Return of the Jedi, or even he didn't direct Return of the Jedi. He handed that over. So George Lucas at that point in his life is kind of done with Star Wars. It was also after the divorce with his wife, who was also very much involved in Star Wars. And so Lucas knew Return of the Jedi is going to be, for now, my final Star Wars movie. I need to wrap things up. And that's what he did. That's the moment that he thought, well, hmm, what if we make Leia? the other. And so it's retconned, as they call it. It's kind of like an afterthought. And then they had to kind of make things match. But it's not a perfect match. I mean, it works. And with the prequels, he did even more to kind of like make it all fit together. And it's one of the criticisms on the prequels is that it's too, it's all too convenient. It's too much kind of... Mm, forced into the storyline and everything has to match and, and the story suffers a bit from that. Um, but I thought it was fascinating. You can find the entire article and it's a good read on Screen Rant. Again, it will be included in the show notes. So screenrant.com and just look for the story about the original story of Luke Skywalker's sister before it was retconned to be Leia. Fascinating stuff. Time for technology. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Last Saturday, I spent some more time uh, with lights in my new rectory. Uh, I've already installed a number of Philips Hue lights, which I uh, bought a, a while ago when they were on sale. Um, and I love it. I love to create these lightscapes in my rooms and set them for, like, for instance, in my bedroom. Um, in the evening, I've programmed it in such a way that it will slowly, when, when the sun is setting, it starts to 
light up the lamps. One lamp, the, like the main one, has this kind of blue color, very dark blue, and I only let it go to like 30%. So it's a weak blue atmosphere, and it's very similar to the to moonlight. And then I have a, a bed lamp on, on, the, on the little table next to my uh, bed, and it has a... Um, um, a bamboo lamp. It's very orangey. It's kind of it's from IKEA. It looks like a like an egg almost, and um, it's a very pretty lamp. But it's very orangey. So I put a, a, a Philips Hue light bulb in there, which I make glow very strong, like like almost fire fiery color. So it looks like a campfire at moonlight, and 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 that totally works. It sets the mood for for sleeping. Um, Whereas in the morning, I've, I've, I've programmed those same light bulbs with, with very different colors. There's one like early morning sunlight color. And actually, we, we know we can measure the temperature of the sun that has just risen above the horizon. So I took that color temperature and put that in the main lamp. That's the one that wakes me up in the morning. And then the, I've, uh, the, the, what used to be the campfire at night is now like a purple, almost reddish purple uh, and it's exactly the type of color that you see on mornings of days where it's going to rain, uh, but that's, there's a lot of water in the air, and the sun just creates this this very beautiful, um, very warm purple or warm. It's kind of pink, purple, red, something like that. And that combination, when on s- seven o'clock in the morning, that starts to slowly, gradually grow stronger and stronger. So I'm woken up by light that has the color temperature of a beautiful morning, a sunrise in the morning. That's one of the things that I love about Philips Hue. I also have uh, got some some lamps in the in the living room. Uh, and when I go watch, when I want to watch TV, um, the, the, the lights were always reflecting in the screen. It's very annoying. Um, so I, I created a, 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 a lightscape that is actually called movie time. And it will lower the the intensity of those lamps. It will give it a very dark blue color, almost imperceptible. It's not entirely dark because that's very fatiguing if you're watching TV and while the the lights are off. It's just enough to give it a little bit of glow, but it does not hamper like the the light coming from the TV. That's uh, another thing. And then in the morning, I have a Hobbit uh, uh, lightscape, so I used colors from the Shire. So I've got this nice grassy green in one corner, and I've got some like orangey brownish color um, that evokes kind of the, the the buildings of the Shire. And you know what? That totally works in the morning. I I have um, uh, Google Play Music play me like a Hobbit soundtrack and the, like the the music that you hear in the movies, um, and the combination of light and music just. Puts me in a certain mood. I love that. The downside of Philips Hue is it is so expensive, and you need this base station, and it, I mean, it gives so many. What I love about Hue is that they also do these experiments. So, for instance, there is a like a candlelight setting where the the, the light bulb will actually kind of flicker a little bit, like like a fire or like a like candlelight. Little things like that. Um, they keep innovating, but. Very, very expensive. So I found an alternative. It's called Yi Light. It's a Y-E-E and then light. Uh, it's from China. Um, and every once in a while, you just got to look around a little bit on uh, the, the various uh, Chinese shopping uh, websites. Uh, they go on sale, and then they're just $14. Um, of course, sometimes you get some extra tax uh, if they pass through customs, but Still, even with added taxes, it's very, very low priced compared to uh, Philips Hue. Um, so I ordered a number of those lamps to just try it out. The advantage of those Yeelight lamps is each lamp works individually. doesn't need a hub. It has a full Wi-Fi transmitter and receiver built in. Those lamps are actually more, even heavier than Hue lamps. Hue lamps are plastic, uh, but then the technology is pretty heavy the technical components, these Eli's are even heavier. But who cares? I mean, it's just a lamp. You just screw it in and be done with it. Um, and they work surprisingly well. There's an app you have to download and you have to connect to the lamp. But then that app can also, the service can be connected with with Google Home. So 
I can integrate them. They don't have the same. Uh, what I like about about uh, Hue is that they can you can uh, put a number of lamps in one room and and form a group, and that group can actually do like form an ensemble. You can even take a photo of which contains colors that you like and let let Philips Hue scan it. And then it will assign colors of that photo to the different lamps in your room. It's it's, it's like magic. It's really, really sometimes it works, sometimes it's not as good. The result is not as good, and requires some manual tweaking. But that, that's stuff that I I don't think that E-Light can do that. But on the whole, it also has these different like you can do uh, certain atmospheric effects uh, it, it, for the price. It's a steal, and it works really well. Like for instance, I had a lot of old-fashioned lamps still in the rectory. Um, and I I discovered that in a number of those uh, ceiling lights in rooms where I hadn't uh, changed it, um, they they put in halogen lamps. And those get very, very hot. And, and, and by putting them in the ceiling light, it is encased and the heat couldn't dissipate. And so I discovered that in one of my rooms, that, that lamp has actually was had melted the 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 holder the lamp holder so it was burnt and my the rectory is all wood the ceilings are quite old fashioned ceilings they're i think pretty inflammable and so discovering that lamp that had actually m- melted its encasing I was like one spark could have set the entire building on fire and uh, that was like <gasps> Oh, I gotta go through the entire building and remove remove all those lamps because who knows what else. I noticed that on the, in the ceiling, the attic has also a number of old fashioned lamps, and now I want to replace those too and replace them with LEDs because it's, it's the risk is too great. <laughs> anyway, that's just like uh, okay. There's actually there are multiple reasons to switch to LED lights. Um, so. That was my uh, little uh, technical experiment. And with that, I think it is time to wrap things up and, uh, and go and record the after show for my patron supporters. If you want to become one of those patron supporters, go over to patreon.com slash fatherroderick. We're going to do a lot of fun things this year. I've got, I've got such a good feeling about where we're going to take this, this whole media <laughs> endeavor definitely to the next level if not to the next 10 levels so join the patrons by making it possible see you next week